Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, Join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Hello, everyone. This is the Helping Friendly Podcast. This is episode 174. We still say the numbers. I don't know why. It's important. We're forced to by our corporate overlords. But I'm here with Jonathan <laughs> and Brad. What's up, guys? Hey, man. What's up, guys? Going? What's up, guys? <laughs> we're six weeks into quarantine, and we're still doing the podcast. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, this is podcasts were made for quarantine. They were. It's true. They were. And if you don't know that, you will soon. Um, we're going to continue our backtracking series today and go through the album called Rift, which some people like. And some people don't, but almost everyone does. Really? And um, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna get into it in a second. I want to say that we've been doing these live chats almost every Monday at eight thirty p.m. Eastern on on YouTube, and you can check them out now. There's a few of them: YouTube.com/slash Osiris Media. And this week we're gonna talk to a woman whose name is Megan, who followed up with us after the last 
episode about Europe 96 and she said she had some photos and some stories and so we're going to talk to her and she's going to prove it sheriff <laughs> she was like really she was like we were there i was there and we were like yeah right and then it was a really awkward back and forth until she sent a photo worth noting that uh when you say this week you mean uh two days before this episode comes out we will have already done it but yeah. uh if you missed it either you saw it and you're like yeah that was neat or whatever your opinion may be or but if mm. you missed it you can as rj pointed out you can go to youtube.com slash osiris media uh, and see that live? conversation are we not recording live? Yeah. No, this no, thing this today, live. this we're is live. not live. Like you and I, I we are right live now. right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm. What year is it? Check my pulse. Hold on. <laughs> I'm definitely. I am a live. So maybe, maybe we could tell them like the next Monday we'll be doing it. We just don't know what show it is then, right? But yeah. So basically, yeah. the idea is that most Mondays we'll probably be doing it. <laughs> Except at last Monday, unless we decide or two not Mondays to ago. or. If Trey decides to do like a Ghost of the Forest show that it would uh, con- conflict with it, then we won't we won't do our thing because we'd rather watch Ghost of the Forest. Maybe. Well, listen, I doubt he'll all keep this, doing th- that. This was all incredibly clear until Brad today started saying times without noting the time zone, and it kind of <laughs> messed up everyone's reality. It was sort of like a, a warp uh, warped sense of time for all of us. Yeah. Don't you think, Brad? No, I mean it's re- I fucking it's really easy actually. It's like the concept to me is not. <laughs> like you, you subtract a couple hours unless yeah. it's a certain time of year. Then you subtract three. I mean, it's it's actually pretty complicated. Yeah. Time is an illusion. It, it is fucking it flat is an circle. Spe- speaking of time being an illusion, we should tell people quickly about our sponsor, Harry's, because I've been quarantining for six weeks and I have as usual, the smoothest facial hair on the podcast. And that's not only because I use a Harry's razor every day. It's also because I can't grow a beard. But (laughs) (laughs) Jonathan and Brad, what about you guys? How's your facial hair going? Uh, Mine is really long, but I am poised. You know, if I got to I got to tell you, if if I'm going to have to wear a mask for the rest of my uh, life, I might just shave. For the first time in a long time. How, how long would that be? Uh, my son's never seen me without a beard. He's 11, almost 12. Um, I, if This doesn't, this kind of goes without saying, but Jonathan has a Grateful Dead podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think I, I basically just told them that. With... Sorry. Brad, Brad, how long has it been since you've had a not beard? Um, we, uh, I grew my beard on our honeymoon in 2008. So There you go. Yeah, 12... 12 years and it hasn't red has a fish podcast no. <laughs> dude really you guys have had your beards for that long yeah you guys maybe started growing your beards at the same time it's mine yeah, pretty is, much. mine is out of control right now it needs to be and and luckily harry's has helped me trim the undergrowth you know what i mean yeah, like that i was gonna say part, i can tell but, i can tell that you've you've trimmed a little bit jonathan's it's harder to tell jonathan's yeah. is a little bit more like a viking or something i i honestly i don't i don't trim my beard at all <laughs> but you do use harry's and when you do trim your beard you will use harry's as i do yeah once once i take the beard off i will i will groom my cheeks uh, so they are baby but smooth just like just like rj's if you ever see rj at a show and we're past quarantine and you know we're allowed to touch each other walk up to him and just with the backs of your fingers touch his cheeks super so smooth. smooth you know super just smooth. like oh thanks 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 in part to genetics and in part to Harry's, which <laughs> for all of you listening, you can get a free trial set delivered to your doorstep by going to harrys.com slash HFPod. Um, 
they give 1% of the proceeds to nonprofit organizations, which is really helpful right now. And to support those who need it most, they're donating a million dollars worth of shaving supplies to hospitals across the U.S., which is pretty cool. So Harry's is good. Um, we all have them, and we, we like them, and we use them for different things. Um, but my, my shave is so smooth all the time. Um, but you can, like I said, you can get a trial set. Yeah, the reason I'm laughing is because these guys can see the video, and it's just so, it's such a contrast. It's so shiny. Those <laughs> it's so shiny. <laughs> anyway, you can get a trial set at harrys.com slash hfpod. You'll get a weighted ergonomic ham- handle, a five-blade razor, shave gel, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor protected when you're on the go, which will be someday. I don't know. I, last, when I started last shaved, we used pocket knives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I Go to harrys.com slash hfpod. Get your free trial offer. Thanks, Harrys. Okay. All right. I also want to say that we're partnering with Sweet Relief. We've been doing some partnerships with nonprofit organizations, and we're working with Sweet Relief to help them just you know, drive some attention to what they're doing in the, in this crazy world that we live in. So they've, um, they're helping out a lot of people. They're paying for living expenses, medical bills, health insurance, utility and telephone bills for people in the music industry. And they've already, already received thousands of applications for assistance from people like artists, crew, venue workers, agents, managers, photographers, and they're accepting more applications now if you need help. Um, or if you want to donate to help all those in need, which we've talked about this before, guys, like there's so many people in the music industry right now who are suffering. It's it's kind of amazing because we think about like the people on stage mostly. Right. But there's there's so many people around these people who need help. Yeah, it takes takes a lot of people to put on that show like a lot. Go to sweetrelief.org and see how you can help. If you're someone in the music industry who needs help, go to sweetrelief.org. <laughs> I should say. Our our comrade Matt is not with us today. He has been working hard on Eric Krasno Plus One. He's working hard on episode three, which by the time this comes out will already be available. That's an episode interview with Marcus King. First episode with Dave Matthews. Second was Laura Lee of Krangbin. I don't know if you guys listened to those. I thought they were really cool. Krasno's got a great interview style, and we got a ton of more interviews coming. Have yeah. you checked them out, Jonathan? Uh, I have started both of those two episodes. I'm really excited for the Marcus King one. Um, I, I have not finished either of them due to too much real life. Too much too real much, life. Too mm. much life. Brad, what about you? Yeah, I've listened to both of them, and he's. Um, I like his delivery. I like you know. It's it's a it's a good listen. I think everybody should check it out. I'm also excited about Marcus King because you know guitarist to guitarist. And Marcus King is super red. I mean that guy. Can, yeah, yeah. He can really play. And yeah, he, and he's he's so young. He's super. Yeah, right, right. And the slide and the whole thing and that's so it's going to be hopefully all that comes out. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a good good one. He has so many interviews. He's interviewed Questlove and John Schofield and Derek Trucks and Chris Robinson and John Mayer, all kinds of people. It's it's really cool. Um, the other thing I'll say is that we announced last week that we're going to do the, our Jazz Fest and New Orleans Music Focus podcast called Festival Circuit. I've been doing a bunch of interviews for that, and I'm writing and narrating the series, which I needed in other projects, so it's great. Um, and it's really awesome. The last thing I want to say before we get into the episode is that there is a an interview that I think will be posted the same day as this episode with um, Supergroup. Lamp. I think you can pronounce it Lamp, right? Russ Lawton, Scott Metzger, Ray, Ray Pachkowski. Yeah. And we're doing an interview for The Drop, which is the daily music 
news podcast I've been doing daily, except Sundays because Sundays are for Jerry. Every day I've been doing a, a music news podcast, so you guys should check that out. I'll link to it in the show notes. It's called The Drop. But but for this one, we're talking to Ray Pachkowski, Scott Metzger, and Russ Lawton, who are putting out an album, and they put out a single um, last week. So that's kind of cool. I guess everyone in the scene knows each other, right? Uh, just about. They, if nothing else, they all end up at the same festivals. So as long as they're not forever on the different days yeah. of the festival, then they, they cross paths. They get to know each other. I think it's kind of cool because I feel like Ray should be on more projects, you know? Yeah. Like his his sound's so unique. Like it's cool to hear him beyond Trey Band. Yeah. Yeah. That's my take anyway. Milkman. Anyway, he I probably will. An incredible nickname. Yeah, yeah, Milkman's pretty good. Mm. I probably will talk to him about that on this interview that you will hear. Okay, so guys, we're continuing on our backtracking series. Now we're on to my personal favorite album. Even I think now that Sigma Oasis has come out, yeah, which is called Rift. Have you guys heard Wait. of it? All right. We're doing Rift? <laughs> <laughs> I just listened to Jinta all day yeah. today. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm ready. It's a pretty, I mean... Okay, so we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff, recording and production, and, and we're going to go through the songs. We also have a special message from our friend Tom Marshall um, in a few minutes. But a way to spoil it, man! Come oh, on, shit. Uh, we do we not, we do not have that. <laughs> and do Jonathan, what do you know about like the recording and production of of Rift? Should we get straight into that aspect of it? Because I feel like you you have a better sense for that than I do. Well. Uh, I, I have very general sense of it, honestly. I know they went back to to Vermont to record this. They recorded it in Burlington. Um, I don't White Marsh or Salt Marsh. I don't know the name of the studio off the top of my head. I don't have the LP at my fingertips. White White Crow is that it, or did you just make that up? White Crow, no White Crow Studios. Okay. There you go. Yeah. But uh, but anyways, yeah. they went back to Burlington to do it. But to me, sonically, this record kind of lands in between Lawn Boy and Picture of Nectar. I feel like they leveled up when they did Picture of Nectar. They got more professional, uh, but the sound kind of suffered at times. The music and the playing mm. didn't, but the sound, I feel, mm-hmm. is uh, almost too crisp. It's almost too uh, something. It's too something. Uh, but for this one, it feels like they kind of eased it back and they... Uh, the psychedelic edges of Lawn Boy uh, kind of creep back in, so they kind of soften the the sharp edges that you hear on Picture of Nectar for this record. And it's it's got a great and cohesive sound. It really flows beautifully, not just in the whole concept, which we'll talk about, but just orally. You know, it kind yeah. of hangs together beautifully, and uh, I really enjoy it. Brad, when we were getting into Fish, I feel like this, to me, was the first album that you really, like, well, at least for me, it was, like, the first album that I fully was, like, okay, cool, you know, like, I understand Fish from an album perspective. It's sort of like, you listen to Dark Side of the Moon, you listen to any Beatles album, you listen to Stones albums, you're, like, looking for that, and to me, this is the first one that kind of, like, hits that mark of, like, okay, cool, like, you can, like smoke some bongs and play down on the floor <laughs> as Trey said in his recent interview about the 70s right like this was that that was my experience with Rift was it like I don't know about you Brad what your experience was like exploring this album yeah this was the um second Electra album right I think Picture of Necker was yeah. the first Rift was the second um 
they co-produced a picture of Nectar, but this one was produced um, by Barry Beckett, right? Yeah, Barry Beckett, and um, he was the se- he was the second baseman for the Red Sox, right? In the late seventies? No, that was the first baseman, the guy, the ball, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Bill Buckner. <laughs> Sorry. I, I got confused awesome. for a second. Yeah. Now, I don't know who Barry Beckett is, but I that sounds he, cool. He played in traffic. Um, he was what? Yeah, he was on the keys in traffic. Um, Holy shit! For a little bit, changes everything. And uh, so it was only it, not <laughs> it only wasn't that Steve Winwood's job, <laughs> dude. I'm telling you, I listen. I've I looked at Wikipedia. I don't know if you guys have, <laughs> but um, this year's Wikipedia has not been delivered yet to me. This year's, so I'm, I'm so I'm so waiting, <laughs> so waiting for the I, book. I canceled my subscription. <laughs> it's just too heavy, and I, I'm I'm running out of shelf space. In 1973, Beckett took the road in the expanded lineup of Traffic. Recordings from oh, this wow. tour were released on, on the second. band's live album, On the Road. The expanded lineup. Yeah. It's a good album. I mean, On the Road is okay. I have it. It's okay. Yeah. But it's no low spark. All right. Well, if Listen, Jonathan has it, then I guess we can move on. Back <laughs> back to Rift. <laughs> they, they recorded some in Nashville as well, along with White Crow. Um, and I think you can hear... And I, I'm not a, a album critique or like Jonathan and, and Matt. I think, and, and that, and um, that's a compliment to them. I, I just don't do it like they do. But I think you can hear it in this the first time that it's been pretty well produced by somebody else other than uh, or, or like a you know discerning ear, right? Um, and it's uh, an un, un, uh, uninvested discerning ear, maybe is, is what I'm trying to say, but. Um, it's incredible. It's the first album that from them that I played front to back and then, you know, back to front and then skipped around and uh, listened to it so many times, so many times preparing for this RJ. I think I texted you that, that like I, I, every single note, every single note I know of this album. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah. it's uh, from the artwork to, to the lineup of songs uh, to the concept ish, you know, Niss of it or whatever you want to say. It's it's just incredible album, incredible album. Yeah. When did you guys hear this record first? So you're a little bit younger than me. Mm-hmm. So when did you first? And I know you guys knew each other as young men. So yeah. When when did this cross? Where'd you get it? So my my recollection is that I got Hoist immediately when it came out because this girl that I really liked, her dad had it, which is such a great way to discover fish. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> Because <laughs> I was four, 14 or whatever, you know, 15. Um, and then I think I got Rift right after I got Hoist. Um, yeah. So that was probably, you know, mid-94. And I had I had Rift first. Not you did? That, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I just remember. And it was like a CD sort of, I got like Nevermind. I, you know, like my first t- 10 CDs, I can still picture them because I kept them next to my CD player. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah, stacked yeah, yeah. up or like, yeah. you know, lined up. Uh, and Rift was one of them. And that's um, that's how wow. I, yeah, so. I feel like that was more normal than the situation I went through. For some reason, it it, it, it was not the first. But also, also, like, I got tapes immediately after that. Like, in summer 95, I started collecting tapes. So it was, like, pretty immediate, you know, like, deluge of music. Yeah. Which is cool. I was just going to say that I think Brad and I, when we were working like as 15-year-olds part-time at some illegal thing or whatever, we were going and saving up money to go buy a tape deck. And then, you know, and then you had to get the double tape deck by the time you turned 16. And then oh, it yeah. was like, then it was all over. 
What about you, Jonathan? You were you were already like deep into the music world by this point. I was listening to a lot of music, and my friend Ethan, who with whom I traded tapes, he was a sometimes taper, heavy tape trader. And he, when this came out, I was somewhere right along, right around when he and I first started hanging out. Uh, he gave me this CD, like gave me his copy, and I took it home and I listened to it like three times. And the next day, I went and bought my own copy and returned his. Um, so, yeah. And I was then a cash. I was definitely a casual fish fan at that moment, uh, but that was part of the transformation. And it was, you know, the next year that I I went and saw the fish band for the first time. That's that's really cool. I think um, the fact that you got to see them, you know, around this time is really cool. Because by the time Brad and I saw them, you know, it was po- post post po- post a live one. It was like we we were on the peak. They were on the peak for sure of popularity. But it was like. We weren't there for the earlier times, you know? But yeah, they were almost washed up by the time you got there. I know. Yeah, it's too bad. And then they continued <laughs> somehow for 20-some more years. Um, well, so, guys, the concept of this, like, partially, I think, because of the artwork, it's sort of, like, identified as, like, a, you know, long dream, which I think when you take the Trey songs with Tom's lyrics and the Mike's songs and the Fishman songs, like, it, it feels... Like, it's basically exactly reflective of the dreams that I had last night, you know? Like, I feel like like every night, you know? It's just like a series of insane experiences. But there's also another big concept. So should we we listen to what Tom's take on that is before we talk about it more? Yeah. All right. We're going to get a little bit from Tom Marshall here on his remembrance of how this all came together. Hello, my HF Pod friends. Rift came out in 1993, so if you recall, the previous album, Picture of Nectar, had just come out in 92, and Lawn Boy before that in 1990. Fish had just signed with Elektra, and things were getting serious. I had three songs on Lawn Boy, five songs on Picture of Nectar, and I damn well wanted to continue that streak for the new album, whatever that was going to be. So at this stage, in Trey's and my relationship, we were pretty separated geographically and mentally. He had this incredible band just smoking on the launching pad poised for takeoff in Vermont. Meanwhile, I was newly married and had a baby on the way when this album came out. I was trying to get my software IT career going in New Jersey, and I was very removed from Fish, except for the fact that I was writing a lot. A whole lot. And that was always Trey's favorite thing about me. I would give him a ton of written material, and he liked going through it. I think his brain preferred staying in the music composition lane. Remember, he'd already created Fee, Esther, and Reba, not to mention Gamehenge, and so was a quite capable lyricist in his own right. But he loved the freedom of leaving the lyrics to me. We knew each other so well that he trusted me to always be able to come up with something that interested him. He and I avoided cliches in songwriting. Love songs or we're going to party hard tonight themes were really at the bottom of the barrel for us. And like my favorite songwriter at the time, Peter Gabriel, I preferred stimulating alternative thoughts, placing you perhaps in a different world. So I think my life and brain were tangled up in uncertainty about my new role as a family man and projected it onto my lyrics, where a relationship became the foremost theme in my writings I was sending to Trey. So I would call him or fax him or hand him a bunch of stuff when I saw him. The funny thing is, I wasn't really aware of how prevalent 
and cohesive, perhaps, the theme of a failing relationship was. That was only revealed later in Trey's selection of the songs and his arrangement and ordering of them onto this album, which created what people call a concept album. I felt like a genius, and that amazing cover art by David Welker, which was inspired and filled with images from all the songs, wrapped it up into a perfect package called Rift. Well, how dare he just <laughs> presume to say that? No, huh? Yeah. No, dude, you know what's interesting is like we, we've gone through some of these songs lyric-wise in some of the under the scales that I've been like lucky right. to be a part of. And sometimes I I just have a different, I mean, I, often I have a totally different interpretation, but I didn't, I think like the failing relationship idea to me is like, I see, I hear that a lot through this album, but I don't think that's the first thing I thought of when I listened to it. What What about you, Jonathan? Because by this point you had listened to a lot more music. Uh, I mean, it's, it shoots through this record for sure. I can hear that in this record. And so I, I, um, Obviously, these songs are are about what Tom thinks they're about, but they're also about more than that to me because I formulated my opinions before uh, I I heard from Tom directly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that that stuff's in there. I think that I think it's interesting that Tom is so open and uh, willing to share these ideas behind the songs with the listeners. And Robert Hunter would never do that because to him it's you know he's got an idea surely but to him it's just the song exists in your head now and uh it means yeah. what you what you think of it um you know what I, which is just I, a different play yeah uh, i totally, totally fine i agree with that and i i was re- remembering reading the rolling stone article from this week that um i mean tom was mentioned a couple times but it was sort of like uh, the the questions about the songs were very much about Trey's perspective on the songs, which is totally fine because he's he packages them into songs. But I thought it was kind of interesting, especially knowing that Tom wrote the lyrics to I think almost every song on the on Sigma Oasis. It was sort of like Trey's interpretation of the songs is very interesting, given that he sort I think he sort of in, embodies the lyrics that he takes from Tom, which is a huge honor to tom does that make sense well, he, like he, he identifies life, with them as right? yeah and he identifies them as his own which is even better than saying i got these lyrics from my friend tom but does that makes sense you're also saying that it's, it's going to be different his, his interpretation of tom's yeah. words right yeah, yeah so um, and when they show up on a piece of paper versus when they show up on an album which you heard tom talk about a little bit is very different right yeah like yeah it's just, I can't imagine like giving you a poem, Jonathan, and then like a month later, you're like, here's the song. And you're like, wait, what? That's not, that, or or like, wow, that is exactly what I was picturing. One of the things I took away from Tom's thing is that he said they were kind of, um, they were separating. They weren't as close as they once were and as they are now probably, right? So I think that lends, lends a lot to different interpretation as well. Instead of being somewhere... Uh, together, as they have done frequently, especially more often now, later later in the in the band's career. Um, back then, he was kind of just handing him stuff or faxing him stuff, mm. which is awesome, right? And 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 they yeah. weren't like in a room together like Billy Breathes, um, where a lot of those songs came together, uh, or or they were in the same room together, you know, for an extended period of time. True. Or or nowadays where they you know have their or actually 
past many years where they have their many songwriting sessions yes, together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and and the at least the demos of the songs are crafted together. Uh, whereas, yeah, Trey was just, and I've been on the other side of this where you, you know, you write something and you give it to somebody and then you hear what they, they do with it. And, um, you know, it's a 50, 50 perspective, you know, yeah, like this is not what I heard when I put that down or yeah, that's pretty much what I had in mind, you know, (laughs) and, and it could go either way. I know that Garcia would always say that, you know, he can only play. He would only pick up the Hunter lyrics that meant something to him. Mm-hmm. If he couldn't relate to something in the song, even if it wasn't net the message that Hunter was conveying or whatever, he, as long as he could relate to what he was singing, he could sing it. If he couldn't, it's never going to be a song. And so I clearly, Trey was able to look at this stuff and find something important to him Yeah, and made it happen. Totally. And I think that's like one of the interesting things, and we'll get into the songs. I mean... The I feel like the common perception of this is like they sat down and were like, we're going to write a concept album. Let's do it. You know, and like the way it came together was it seems like Trey just pulled a bunch of stuff together, added some stuff from from Mike and from Fishman and and turned it into a beautiful concept album, which I think is really interesting. So should we get into the songs? Do you guys like songs? I like songs. The first song on this album is happens to be related to the title of the album. I think it's I think it's called the title track. It's called Rift. Um, There's some connection. Completely I think, written for this album, and you'd never heard the, any of this music before. Right, Jonathan? Wait, no. Um, but you know this. Come on. Thank you for the setup. That's very kind. But uh, yeah, you blast off with this music from Rift, which they pilfered from the curtain with and sped up and... Um, it's not even the original music to Rift. They had it. There is another version of Rift uh, with slightly different music, actually very different music. But what we have here is the right music, the correct music for this song, I think. Um, and, you know, I, when I put it on today, one of the first things I thought was, well, first thing I thought was Blast Off. And then the next thing I thought was, I, I, I don't listen to Mike on this song enough, you know. Uh, but he's really doing some great shit through this, as they all are, of course, as uh, you know, we could say for any song. But I think it's pretty great. So uh, it, you should we should I mean, maybe everyone who's listening already knows the subtext of what you're saying, because you're, you're sub sub potting the the history or, or something, maybe. Anyway, they the the slope the slow part of the, is that English? No, but the slow part of the curtain is called the curtain width, right? Which was the the parts of rift that are the fast parts are taken from the slow part of the curtain width. They didn't play the curtain width between 1988 and 2000. So like the people who had seen them in 88 or had heard tapes from then may probably recognize that, but it wasn't a song that was in rotation, but they sort of borrowed that part of the song and put it into rift. It's sort of like how landlady punch you in the eye sort of evolved, but, but, uh, or a uh, pigtail and stumble into flight. Right. <laughs> right. I yeah, mean, totally. it's you pilfer from yourself. It's perfectly, perfectly fair. Do you think that when people heard this first track, they were like, Oh, that that's the curtain width. Like some somebody was. Somebody I, who I mean had one the of the tape. One of the first tapes I got had um it was a poorly labeled 
tape and it had some like 88 filler on it and it had a curtain width on it. And I was, I, I searched for ages before I realized that it was just filler and I would never find uh, exactly that. But, um, but, but I had already heard rift. So I, I mean, heard, I heard that and I was like, Oh wait, this is, Oh, that's weird. Awesome. Uh, it was so, cool. So I, this is, to me, this is like the, the reason I love this album so much is that it, it like we've done these backtracking obviously on the the first few albums and this is the first time when it feels like they really started to bridge between being like prog rock goofballs to being actual artists like you know like picture of nectar had some like weird you know weird zappa lyrics and like i mean zappa-esque lyrics and like you know there was like they were goofballs and this is their first real i think professional attempt at making an album and i think you can tell by the production and the song construction and the lyrics like the overall feel of it jonathan's looking skeptical i i think that i know what you're saying but i'm not sure i agree with how you're saying it That's so fine. we probably agree i i think it sits there here they're finally Finally, may not be the word I mean either, but here they're 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 crafting songs and they're crafting them uh, beautifully in the studio. Uh, before they took their songs to try to capture them in the studio, they did a little bit of. There's always a little bit of like studio tinkering, a little music concrete, and a little you know farting around with sounds and samples and weirdness every time in all of their other studio records. But here they're really like serving the songs. Like for real, and I, it's a level up. Yeah, and I think what you guys were saying about Nashville and about bluegrass, which you'll you'll talk about soon, Jonathan, is like this like back and forth between Trey and Paige is like a very bluegrass thing, which you start to hear in this first track, right? You hear the like, oh yeah, you know they they go back and forth and they do it in several songs on this album, and I do wonder how much that was like kind of on their minds when they were putting it together, but it sounds completely different from any music that was around at the time, I think. Didn't I say on an earlier episode that Rift was basically a bluegrass song? Like it's it's so much like um like an early like a rawhide from Bill Monroe or something. Yeah. Uh probably. in that it's just an assault of chops. Um it's You probably did say that and, and Brad probably laughed and then we forgot and we moved along. Yeah. We probably still that's awesome. I think you're right. It's my um it's the first uh limb by limb, I think. Um in, in in that in that back and forth. Yeah, I guess I can see that now that you're saying. It just that. reminds me because the the lyrical back and forth and the I, I get it's it's different music, but um, I really enjoy that the the play between between uh, Trey and Page and um, the we've talked about it before RJ long ago like the riff test. Nowadays, if if they play riff well, that you know that all of them are firing. Yeah. It's really hard to play. No, I, I think I can I can see what you're saying about the back and forth. I mean, and they do it on this album so many different times, um, which I think, yeah, like at least three times on this album. Um, the next song, Fast Enough For You, to my, to my first point, Jonathan, this is the first Fish ballad on an album. I is mean, it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you could count Eliza maybe as like a... That's what I was going to say, yeah. yeah. Instrumental... This is the first real ballad you hear, and and it's beautiful, and the Trey's solo is incredible. I just, I mean, I think this song is amazing, and I heard it live recently and was reminded about how amazing it is. But, Jonathan, what do you have to say about this song? Uh, It's goddamn gorgeous. Uh, 
Um, I, no, I, I really, I love it. And um, Gordon Stone plays this beautiful pedal steel part. Gordon Stone is a uh, uh, Vermont bluegrass guy, uh, banjo player, as well as uh, as well as pedal steel and probably a dozen other instruments. Uh, I've got a couple records with him, and he's out. He's outstanding. It isn't nearly fast enough. You know, this is the first um, track of the song when you realize, I think for me, this is 93, late 92. This is Trey Gunn, you know, this is the era of of Trey just like shredding and just uh, destroying the guitar from all parts of the neck. And then you hear him delicately play this beautiful, fast enough for you. And I think you guys mentioned it, it earlier. It's like they're really starting to mature. They're really turning into like a full-blown band, not just a prog rock like outfit that'll you know make your hair stand up on all on all ends or whatever. But um, they're really he's really showing uh, some maturity, I guess. I I, I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, go to a show in in early '93. And it's Trey gone. You, you know, it's 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 Trey just blowing you away with his with his his timing and his skills and his uh, fingering of the guitar. It, it, but th- yeah. this stuff isn't like that. This he, you know this whole album isn't him just shredding. Yeah. So totally, I think that's a different and it's a different thing. And you heard in '91 particularly, right? Trey just, I mean '90 and '91, he would just like the llamas that we've talked about from '90 90 and '91 are just outrageously fire and yeah they were i feel like they were expanding and they might have been a little bit more um deliberately trying to be trying to make a serious album i guess that that was my that was my thought and jonathan i don't know if you agree but i don't disagree okay all right so you know what's interesting is this segues like the the production on this which i think it does like sound like an early 90s production album wise but it segues into lengthwise like perfectly which makes you think it's like dark side of the moon or something you know what i mean it's like it's got the great overlay right from one song to another but we know that these songs were just like i mean it was trey who was kind of like placing them together right Uh, well i don't know that trey made that call himself but definitely it it flows beautifully and it's a that's classic album production technique. That's that's straight out of the seventies. That's not, you know, or right. That's or, what I mean. It, yeah, it reminds yeah. you of like a classic seventies album, but it's it's kind of their first attempt at that. Yeah, nothing in Picture of Nectar or or Lawn Boy or Junta like did that. Right, and, you know, 
it's gorgeous. And this thing is just haunting. I, I said that word before. Remind me not to say that again. And everybody <laughs> out there, if I say it again, drink. Um, it's uh, it's haunting and, and trippy, I think, and a little sad. So thank you, Fishman, for that. Brad, what do you what do you feel about this going back to it? Because this is like, man, lengthwise was like a weird thing back in the day, you know, going into Maze. Yeah, it, yeah, just kind of a, um, you know, previously it was just kind of like part of the gag. I thought, you know what I mean. And, and I, Maze is kind of gaggy as, to me as well. Like, um, I realize it's a, a serious peak, um, but uh, it was always the one that I was kind of like. Why do they keep saying you'll never get out of this maze? You know, hey, we'll get there. Yeah. But like, so so the beginning of it, 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 it to me was always part of maze. I know it, it was separate, but like to me, it was always part of it. Yeah, uh, and it, it's I agree. It's been pay. It's been played only the hand maybe thirty sometimes. I think, um, and a lot of those times are with maze, and I think that's appropriate. You know what I mean? Actually, I think the beginning yeah. was always with hold your head up because Fishman would come out and talk, sing the lyrics. You know. Um, but they more recently, or the, or the 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 more recent times they've played it, um, have done it with Maze, and I think to me that's absolutely fitting. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. When you're gone, I sleep diagonal in my bed. When you're there, I sleep lengthwise. And when you're gone, I sleep diagonal in my bed. When you're there, I sleep lengthwise. And when you're gone... And then into maze, I mean... This is, um, man, I was thinking about the lyrics today when I was listening to this because I know that the, like, we were talking about the theme earlier about, you know, losing love and, uh, or, or relationship going off the tracks or whatever, but this is like, and I've, I've had this, heard this confirmed by Tom in some, some audio place, like, this is like an early career person thinking about work, you know, or, or having a bad dream about work maybe, or, or having a bad dream about work being part of a having a bad dream overall it's an intense song musically and lyrically jonathan i i sorry tom that's too mundane for me to to have it just be stre- work stress um it but it is stress it's it's about feeling trapped mm-hmm. it's about um you know anxiety and and I, you know, I don't really say things like this too much, but it's really a hell of a song when you're on acid at a fish show. Um, <laughs> B- 
because it'll it will fuck you up if they're playing it right and you're in the right place even if you're not if you're just dialed in and uh you know it it is just gonna mess you up this song is so good it's powerful and uh you know when they when they blaze into it and page let's just give all the shout outs to page's performance on this song on every version uh ever that's worth a damn uh, including, of course, this album version. You know, this um, this is the second instance of this, like back and forth between Trey and Paige. It's almost like in a different world. You know, I haven't I've heard the String Dusters play a lot of Fish songs, but never Maze. But like, you could hear this could be a bluegrass song, right? Yeah, I mean, it the the basic tenet of passing the solo around the band is right there. Um, I think it's it's cool to hear the way Paige is positioned as an equal with Trey yeah. on these songs, um, which, you know, he certainly is now. I, I think that people may have argued, people outside the band may have argued that he wasn't then. Um, yeah. Because Trey has always been more of a forefront guy. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a hell of a thing. And it's, I think you have to use the word, the music critic uh, cliche of blistering on this song. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it is, it's totally true. And, um, Brad, I know you've always like paid attention to page and I, I want to say that Sigma Oasis it, in that interview with Rolling Stone, which, you know, we all knew listening to it, but Trey basically confirmed like page did a ton of work on those songs, which is sort of why it, it reminds me of this album somehow, even though they're yeah. so so different. But like Page is so heavy on it. But Brad, do you do you hear Page differently on this album than yeah. than other albums? Yep, I was gonna say, and I wonder if it goes to the fact that the producer played it on Traffic, in Traffic, uh, before. But <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. I feel number one that there may be some studio jamming, and it could not be, but um. There's there's instances in throughout Rift where I think you could say well maybe <clears throat> they're letting uh, Page go off this sheet a little bit, um, and this is the first instance of that in Maze, and um, it's it's a wonderful song. I, I don't like that it gets compared to Bowie. It's not fair, right? But you know it's, it's just a hi hat, people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's otherwise very different. It's just not fair. Uh, because they're both wonderful songs, and um, you, you know, don't maze my Bowie and don't Bowie my maze. That's what I always say. <laughs> <laughs> both, both. Um, so, but then, uh, you know, uh, Maze is an incredible peak. It, it takes you, it, it builds up, and then it, it releases, and it's wonderful. Uh, and then we get to Sparkle, which is is so my th- you know my thoughts on Sparkle is when you're. 14 you don't really understand it you don't get the lyrics you don't get the uh you just hear the music uh but as you get older i think it's an incredible song um that that now that i'm married and with children and everything means a lot more to me 
than it did back then. Because I, you know, when I was 14, it was just kind of, I, I could, I could have it or, or leave it, you know, uh, take it or leave it. I don't know. That that's, I don't yeah, have anything when really more. When you're 14, it's just about the kind of manic nature of the song, right? Right. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's got. I, I don't know. There, there are people who don't like this song, and I don't, I don't quite get that because it's so very fish. I mean, the bluegrass notions taken to this weird and wild extreme. It's got a bit of a sense of humor about itself. Uh, crazy, crazy chops, and then it has this lyric that is heavy. It's actually kind of heavy, you know, uh, and yet, you know, it plays against its own meaning in it, with its tone, um, with the, the, the sheer mania, as I said. So, um, yeah, I dig it a lot. And RJ, you have thoughts, I bet. Well, Tom has, um, I think either under the scales or separately talked about how this song is like one of the first examples of Trey taking deliberately like pretty sad lyrics and turning them into like a really happy song. There are lots of other examples of that, but it's like a heavy, like you said, it's like, it's about, I mean, it's, it's a sad song and turning it into like a hilariously happy song. I mean, that's a really awesome technique in just like <laughs> musical creation. Cause like if you, if I got some sad lyrics or some depressing lyrics, I'd probably write a depressing song, but it's awesome to be like, you know what? I'm going to just like write that, write the most ridiculously upbeat song. <laughs> that's so right. upbeat that it's like actually going to kind of like fuck you up. Apart. Laughing, laughing, fall 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 apart. Yeah, I mean, okay, so guys, Horn is next, which is a song that's awesome, I think. <laughs> Speaking of sad. Jonathan, what do you think? Oh my god. So it's got these beautiful lyrics. It's they're 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 pretty clear, I think. You know, there's some nuance I guess someone could try to interpret, but I think it's pretty clear what's going on in this song. And unlike the previous one where he you know, flips it on its end and writes this really upbeat, crazy. He, he really lingers on the kind of sadness of it. He's got this cool riff and like a, a cool riff. And then, you know, when, when, then the solo, right? It's this beautiful, beautiful solo that kind of kills me when Trey doesn't nail that live. And I'm looking at you 3.0. <laughs> um, I, I, there are probably, if I were to sit down and make a study of them, there are probably versions that are not note perfect that have enough passion that I would feel them and like them. But when, when he misses, this is one of those, when he misses the notes, I'm just like, oh, um, <laughs> but on the record, he does not miss any notes no. and it's God damn, it's just beautiful. Um, so uh, you guys, the three of us all love the Grateful Dead. A lot, from what, I can, cool. from what I can tell. Brad, to me, this is sort of like a, a little bit of like a Warfrat or something like that solo in the way that Trey 
plays like it's so there's a lot of space there's a lot of you know there's it's not like rushed it's just like a very soulful solo it reminds it reminds me of like a jerry ballad solo but um jonathan i didn't i was talking to brad what I'm listening, you? and he was saying good things about Jerry. What, <laughs> promise, <laughs> but I don't want to. I don't want to no, put your words g- in anybody's mouth. But I just wanted to say that before I wanted to get Brad's input on this. And it's more, it's more emotive. That's that you know, it's more emotive, and it, it goes to what I was saying earlier. In that there's some maturity in this album, uh, in that it's just not him, you know, full steam ahead. Um, and I agree with Jonathan that if you try to go there live he's got to deliver it for it to have the same effect, you know, to me and, and RJ, you can have your opinion. It's cool. But to me, it's actually a bit more of like a, uh, like a David Gilmore kind of, uh, thing. Um, and cause the space, there's space. I mean, Jerry plays with space too. He plays with it differently. Um, but Gilmore is a composer of solos. Mm -hmm. He's not, not a big improviser. Uh, and, and so, and this to me feels is more in that category. That's fair. Uh, And that's fair. Also beautiful melodies. So. Compared so finally compared to Sparkle, this one hit home more for me when I was fourteen. Right, right. It's like because it it it's it's very clear about like a date and like yeah. a you know you're, you're wanting to like go out with the girl and that so that to me was more of like oh yeah that this and uh, this is I, I generally listen to this album f- front to back yeah uh, but if I you know put it in quickly and I had a few minutes Horn was one of the songs I went to um, yeah. And, and would listen to it just by itself and then move on, you know. Jonathan, the the next song is The Wedge, and I want to get your take on it because your notes really reflected what I was feeling. Uh, uh, my notes, yeah. So this is another where I, I'm pretty sure Tom has talked about the meaning in his mind of this song. Uh, he his, talked about it in, with me when I told him yeah. what I thought, and then he told me and what then he, he told thought. you were wrong. And I was very wrong. He would never say you are wrong, but if you listen to him say what he thought it was about, and then me say what I thought it was about, you would get, draw the conclusion that I was wrong. He definitely pretty much told you you were wrong. <laughs> um, but but the funny thing is, is I remember that, but I don't really remember Tom's interpretation, his view of what this song means, because uh, I listened to it and then I discarded it because Aquatic Ape. Yeah. See, no. Um, the these songs they formed their own pathways in my brain a long time, long time before I was, uh, you know, personally acquainted with Tom Marshall yeah. and hearing his, you know, words in my ear holes, his, you know, voice in my ear holes at times. Um, so I mean, it's 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 a deeply psychedelic song. The uh, the rhythm that Mike and fish build is it's incredible, intricate. And, uh, 
and the whole damn thing, it just like creates yeah. these crazy neon pyramids sliding down the mountains inside of my eyeball movies. And, uh, yeah, you, you figure <laughs> out what that means. Uh, I did. I totally agree, Jonathan about, well, not about the eyeball movies, but no, um, oh, well, you're missing out. I uh, just think like, man, this is a song that it means so much to me. It's one of the most meaningful fish songs to me, and it's completely different from what Tom thinks it means, you know, which is so <laughs> cool. But this song is fucking beautiful, and I feel like this is the this is the kind of uh, breakthrough point of this album, you know. Like horn is awesome, but then when this when the drum beat starts, it's just it's beautiful. In the same way I was, I'm attached to Horn, uh, and I think you're right in that Horn leads us to the wedge, and then it it just the rest of this album just explodes. Uh, but the, it's, um, I'll never forget. My mom got a car, a new car with like a six disc CD player, and we took like a long trip, and I one of the discs I slid in was Rose Rift. Um. And, uh, you know, we got to it and we listened to it. And, and when we got to Wedge, my mom, that's like the first song she like looked at me. She goes, what, is this fish? I was like, yeah. You know, this is 90, whatever, four or whatever. Um, and she's like, this is really cool. So it kind of reminds me of like, and then she, she said maybe like ELO or like some other like kind of cheesy proggy like pop stuff from the 70s. You know what I mean? And I and, and that to me was like offensive. I didn't say that to her, but I was like, "What?" I was like, "No way," you know. <laughs> and that's when you drove the car off the road, which is the first time you've ever told that story about why that happened. <laughs> um, and uh, but what what I took from that is that it's a different song that stuck out, and it's because of the rhythm, it's because of the you know the lyrics, and everything about it is just kind of uh, I don't know, maybe un- unconventional as far as radio um and it it one of the reasons it sticks out to me lyrics rhythm everything about it is 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 really cool it's, it might have been like the first song like this that fish did jonathan i don't know if there are others that would like jump out to you like this but i mean they were doing weird different kinds of songs all over the place but actually i guess all of picture of nectar is sort of like a collection of kind of strange songs so like this yeah no i was gonna say this is not the first weird song that fish yeah. ever made but on this album, it kind of like breaks. Like if you think of this song as like a, 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 a dream sequence, sequence, this is sort of like a point. In yeah, the it's a good point. Night, you yeah. know, it's like a, when you're when you're like shifting from, that, you know, you're you're rolling over or whatever. Yeah, right. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and if you if you listen to this album under under the influence of any substances, you'll like. I think this kind of breaks the spell of the first like six songs. I never had this on tape and I was just wondering, I, you know, I, I have it on vinyl and, and I have had it on CD, of course, forever. Uh, and on the LP, it's a two LP. So the flip is not after the wedge, it's after my friend, my friend. But on cassette, that was the end of the A side. 
was the wedge. So that's probably pretty important breaking point for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but now we're on side B and it's my friend, my friend, which is, it's scary fish. Like <laughs> it's compositional fish. Like we only got just a, a touch of the the full thing that Trey wrote because I guess the other half became Gaiuti, right? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, so we have, you know, this cool in- orchestral introduction and then we have this just kind of weird dark song that I, it, it kind of tells a story. What do you, what do you think, Brad? Does this, is this really, is it telling a story? Is it just trying to freak me out or is it all in my own head? I think it's a little bit of like an undelivered story. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's almost there. It doesn't take us all the way there. And I've always, always been more interested in, the, in this music from my friend, my friend than, than the lyrics. Um, well, the music or the rest of the story you're supposed to fill in the blanks with what the music suggests okay. it's like peter and the wolf or something you know kofiov who's telling the story with yes. the music um yeah i don't know i'm just i'm just getting high fluting on you guys don't don't listen to me no but it's it's the lyrics I, although you know it's a wife and a knife and a, my friend and like you know there's there might be some haunting going on um it's it's never been that for me and um especially when there's an acoustic start to this song like that's you know it's an incredible song live I guess is what I'm getting at So I got some insight from Tom, and he's told me this before, but um, he and his friend Dave Abrahams, you know, l- looks, looks too, too much, much like, like Dave. Yeah, he said that um, they would yell, "My friend, he's got a knife out of their car," at people in high school, which now you'd be arrested for, um, and that was like a thing. And then for a wedding present, Tom got him a really sweet chef's knife and wrote the first stanza of the song. Um, for his friend Dave for his wedding, which is which is like the first part of the song. And then Trey turned it into a song, and then they added the rest of the lyrics after. Okay, so that's amazing, fascinating, and really creepy. So yeah, totally. Go Tom. <laughs> my friend, my friend, he's got a knife. My friend, my friend, he's got a wife. So... It's a weird, it's weird. And, but this is where it like, it's almost like if, if this was a night of sleep, this would be like the beginning of your like fever dream section, you know? And then it goes, where do we go next, Jonathan? After my friend, my friend, it goes to another weird place. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Mike Gordon. Um, (laughs) We, uh, we we (laughs) shave your head and weigh all of the prickly hairs. Um, Such a bizarre song. It's a bizarre lyric, bizarre music, and it works, though, with this sweet, whatever, you know, all the rest of the material on this record, it works really well. Um, I I have always thought it was a nice companion to to Wedge, in that it's it's got this strange, like, uh, shifts in the meter, but 
you know, it's got great, you know, because it's a mic song, it's got a really cool rhythm kind of thing going, and it's a weird-ass tune, and I dig it. I dig it a lot. I think it's um, pretty weird, Brad. Do you think it's weird? Yeah, it's weird. I was, I was just going to say, I think I could take it. You could even do it without the lyrics. Not that I, I, I'm asking them to, but the music itself, I think, is is Oh, interesting. Really incredible. Yeah. I hadn't right? thought about that, but you're right. Um, and the lyrics just kind of make you like, you know, like when the dog hears something and it turns its head. Like a little bit, you know what I mean? <laughs> His master's voice. You, can, yeah, can you imagine nope. eight, seven, eight, or nine pounds of hair? Fucking gross, man. <laughs> but it's a head, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why are we talking about my beard again? It's all, I mean, man, he was, Mike was, you know, as now, like, contributing interesting songs. And it's interesting how the, the flavor of this album is not that different from a fish show now. Like, you'll hear, like, you know, 10 or so Trey, Trey and Tom sh- songs or Trey songs, and then you'll hear, like, a Mike song. And like a fish song thrown in there, it it does like and, remind and you. And Paige of the flow. will take a couple of lead vocals as well. Right. True. True. Yeah. Exactly. Which we're gonna. It's gonna happen soon. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, it's true. Here, I was thinking about that RJ, before you said it. I I think he's making fun of you, RJ. That's fine with me. I don't care. But <laughs> I'm making fun of him making fun of you, Jonathan. That's I think oh, I that's see. Yeah, I see. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so this album keeps going on. We get to the NPR instrumental section. Sort of the beginning of the the last part. It's the bridge. That's all I'm saying. I think I think it takes us from that kind of middle funky section of polyrhythmic stuff um, to uh, what could be two of my favorite songs in the album back to back and i think that my understanding of the song jonathan is that it's like a tribute to the npr show that's now 30 plus years running right it's a reinterpretation a uh interpolation i don't know they basically he rewrote the theme to all things considered uh took the original theme and expanded and extrapolated a bit more of a song to it made it a little more fish-like i think it's freaking excellent it's yeah it's cool and and you know the thing about dreaming which we talked about a lot on with as we talked about this record is that the like the last like dreams take place in an instant in your mind right before you wake but sometimes you do have a whole night of restless sleep and in and out of dreams but perhaps what's happening here is that your clock radio has come on. Um, let's leave aside the fact that All Things Considered is an afternoon program. And your NPR is on. And you hear that theme. Or maybe you hear some other B.J. Luderman tune, as he writes yeah. all, wrote tons of the music for NPR. Uh, and so that's what's bleeding into your subconscious here as you're begin- about to wake. But first, more dreams. I think that's cool. I think that's a good idea, and it's it, it is like a little bit, yeah. It's it's a good point. It's like the first 
part of the of the morning and then you go but then you fall back into a weird deep sleep <laughs> for the next song oh yeah very you know? weird very brad deep. and i brad and i heard mound at our first fish show in 95 and i think i was as confused then as i am now but <laughs> fucking crazy yeah the song's crazy to hear live yeah I, and you know, but fun. I mean, this is some weird ass prog psychedelic prog rock stuff. I mean, like really, really weird. Like, did I mention that it's weird? Like, I don't have a lot of cogent thoughts because there's not a lot that's cogent on this song. It's just, I mean, it's cleverly constructed and it's it's really fun and but it, it's freaking weird. I I just can't I can't wrap my head around it. Still, how however many what is it? 27 years since this came out i think you can like draw a line of some kind a line that won't that would be like make more sense to someone who knows a lot more about music between this and the you know later stuff overstep and 555 like you could you can see where mike was going with songwriting but but this was a this is a brilliant fucking piece of music oh yeah i mean he's shifting meters again he's doing just bizarre bizarre stuff but it's great it's there's a lot of really out out of the box thinking And the little like solo in the middle. I mean, it's it's an incredible, but it, it is very dreamlike, I think. And you're back, you're back in your dream. And in the '90s, when they would play the song and just completely nail it, and like, yeah, it was fun to dance to. Actually, yeah. speaking Even of nailing it's hard it, to do that. Speaking of nailing it, what said again, RJ? Except that it's hard to dance to, also. <laughs> yeah, well, but if you it, what, once you knew how. <laughs> Brad, once Brad. you saw the light, once you saw the light, Brad, yeah. Brad, yeah, yeah. On the video that we're watching, Brad turned into one of the people on the documentary whose face you can't see. I, I look yeah. like um, the dude. I look like Marlon Brando on uh, Heart of Darkness. <laughs> Wait, what, no, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, Apocalypse. Apocalypse. Now. Now. Yeah, yeah. I swallowed a fly. Oh, sorry. Um, You've seen the Hearts of Darkness. So, <laughs> so any, but. Mound's incredible. I think I, I like Mike's earlier tunes than the later ones, and this is an example of what I would point to. Um, uh, that I, yeah. you know, anyway. But not that it's totally different than uh, the newer songs. But this is the first Mike song that I truly fell in love with. Way again is kind of quirky. This is this is not. This is just this is just awesome to me. Yeah. Uh, but but you guys mentioned nailing it live, and and it's ice, which is next, is something that. Um, they used to nail live, and they do sometimes now. But uh, it it goes to kind of the complexity, almost full circle, because "Rift" is a really tough song to play, and, and the very first song on the album, and this uh, you know second, maybe third to last song of the album, "It's Ice," is an awesome page tune. Um, Tom's lyrics, uh, but Trey writes the music, assuming Page is going to sing, right? Kind of like Tila. Uh, and um, it uh, it is one of those it, sort of like horn in that you can picture it. 
there's no real like nuance. Yeah. There's no real uh, guess about what's going on. It's it's a it's a nice story that you can follow, um, and the the music is. I mean, this is top. This is top shelf tray right here. I think. Double back real quick and just shout out the bluegrass breaks in Mound uh, among the the various segments of that song. I just really like the bluegrass breaks. But um, yeah, Ice has just super trippy lyric. I think you kind of nailed it as it it does paint a clear uh, narrative uh, throughout. But whoo, it'll 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 mess you around if you get yourself lost in it. Um, and it and then they they have this. Um, space in the middle of it that is just kind of nicely formed and the fact that once they took that out on the road i mean it's just another uh another tool in their in their tool chest uh, that soon i mean this is 93 so within just a another year or so after this record came out a little more they would start going into space they would they were they were they were leading into that when they were writing this stuff. Well, I think so to me, this is like the third time on the album where the, like if we go back to Tom's story about how he and Trey were not together and and he was kind of giving him lyrics, which is totally crazy that this is the album that came out of like a combination of a bunch of songs and, and that he created some of these songs in probably in isolation or with one of the other band members, not necessarily with, someone else who was like oh this is what these lyrics could be whatever but if you think if you take rift and maze and it's ice these are like the three of the most um almost like personified lyrics in music you know like you can what what he's playing is exactly what's happening and that's what you were saying brad but i feel like the same thing in maze and in rift it's like it, when when that happens when it's like when you feel physically what the lyrics are saying, it's, it's a pretty cool thing. And it's also like, it, it's clear that Trey and Trey's uh, trust in Tom's lyrics were so deep <laughs> that he was like, I think this is what this it's ice thing should be. And then it's like, wow, I can't imagine hearing that for the first time. If you wrote this poem about, you know, the double image and all that shit. I mean, it's, it's fucking crazy, man. And now they take that middle section, like you said, Jonathan, and just, take it to any any place that suits them on a given night like there have been times when i've seen that live that i'm like what song is this you know after <laughs> four minutes yeah, you know yeah. which is really cool right but sometimes it's just like a run through a song which i mean that's kind of an interesting adventure super complex though if you think you know that they can get through that initial section and then go somewhere where you're, you don't recognize it uh in the middle like it's I guess that's why that's what it feels why like we love them, right? Yeah, no, it's it's incredible, man. It's incredible. Check out our friend Amar. Um, he was he just recently on Instagram was like messing around. I, I don't know if it was a particular version. Uh, I think it was that he he was like playing on his electric and shows you how incredible and all over the neck 
uh, this song is. Amar is a national treasure. We I appreciate him a lot. <laughs> yeah. He actually lives in the um, Library of Congress. He lives. He's, he's, <laughs> <laughs> so so we go back into lengthwise, which I don't think is like that notable. We just it happens again. My note on this was this again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's that that fun. was a joke. I love it. I love that it comes back and it kind of ties it in because you know then there's it's that moment when you roll over and you realize you're alone in bed and then you drift back to sleep. And you hear that sampled clock sound uh, that dr- kind of drifts you right on into the horse. If there was any yeah. doubt that it was a concept album, they took it. Yeah, that's here right. right. Yeah, <laughs> it could have been a little it. heavy-handed, yeah. but it but it no, it's totally beautiful. seals it. And then it goes into the horse into Silent in the morning. I I told Rachel recently. I thought about this for a long time, but I want you guys to know that I told her that if I die, this is what I want at my funeral: It's the horse into Silent, but don't fucking forget the horse. <laughs> Like <laughs> Trey, but Trey would be like, give you the shrug, like the shrug emoji. Yeah. Like why? Just like, yeah. don't go straight into silent. Like, cause the horse is, it's so important for the, the setup. It is, it is. And you know, Trey doesn't, I, I like that Trey finally, I don't know where it was. Was it in that Rolling Stone piece or something else recently? Where he finally said, you know, just Paige has been playing so wonderfully lately that I just like to let him do that part. Um, and that's okay. So for years we've been listening to it going, uh, Trey can't do it, but Paige is going to do it. Uh, but it's just Trey wants to let Paige do it. And that's cool because, you know, it's fine. It's time I sling the baskets off this silver burden horse. Sink my toes into the ground and set a different course. Cause if I were here and you were there I'd meet you in between And not until my dying day Confess what I have seen What, Jonathan, what's your Are you a silent in the morning, like, person? Oh, I I love this song I mean, it's an emotional lyric Not just Paige's vocal, but Like, I really like the, um I like the guitar figure that Trey plays at the beginning and that comes back at the end uh, and at the very end. You know, it's it's kind of trance-inducing mm-hmm. to me. And um, yeah, I yeah I like this song a lot. The beautiful end to this album. And guys, what what did like going back to this album? Do you have takeaways of things that you like? I don't know. What's your takeaway of going back now after so long of listening to this album? My, I, I'll tell you that um, I didn't realize back then how well it flowed and how 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 nice of an arc it has. Uh, but listened to it a few times over the past couple of days, uh, and we we've talked we've talked the, about the breaks, the wedge, and I think way and and that sort of stuff. But um, it's got a few. I, I I guess it's got a few sections. You know, front, middle, and back. And together, I think it's uh, it's it's great. There's some meat in the middle. Um, it starts off with energy and and the end with the horse and sound in the morning leaves you wanting more. I think, uh, or or I guess if if we're coming out of a dream and waking, and you're in the mood of the silent in the morning, it's going to be a good day. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's totally fair, Jonathan. Well, either that or you're gonna. You know, you're going to have that moment like that song Sleep where you're, you know, trying to remember what you just dreamt about. Right. Um, 
but yeah, I, I love this record. It, it, I've, I have from the first time I heard it, and it, it was nice to, it was nice to put it back on and, um, and and hear it and experience it again. Uh, and I will again. This is one of those that I do go back to. It's not my all time favorite Fish album, but that's not a knock it by any means. So I really, I really do love it. When will we get to your favorite Fish album, Jonathan? Who says we haven't already? Oh, there is none. <laughs> bring me a good album, and I'll bring you my favorite Fish album. No, Lawn Boy is my favorite. I'm sure I said it at the time. Yeah, I think but, you probably uh, did. Yeah. Well, I think I mean this is a beautifully constructed album, song wise and just conceptually. It's a really is a huge accomplishment for Fish, and I think propelled them for a couple of years, right? I mean, I think the 93 and, and at least all of 93, which was a another huge breakthrough year for them, kind of were was propelled by this like beautiful, complex album that they were able to put out, which, you know, only a couple of years after their last complex, beautiful album. I mean, it's just at this point, you know, it's 93. See, at 93, they were, they were, this is their peak of their powers. And I think they, what you said earlier, Brad, it resonated because like, they were able to like heart like hone it in a tiny bit, you know. It wasn't like it was it's very it feels very restrained as an album, not in a bad way, but like it doesn't feel like it's like we gotta play for like three hours and like do everything. It feels like like it's, it's focused. Curated. Yeah, focus, exactly. And maybe that's because of the concept. The concept might have like helped Trey. I don't know where the concept came from, but And must we for or lest we forget that uh this was a classic HF Pod episode about the first show of this tour after this album yeah. was released, when they just started traveling with the Baby Grand. Uh, Page, Think about it all the time, man. <laughs> Page, no, I'm serious. I, I really do. But Paige, that show from Portland, yeah, and they you guys uh, talk about it all the time. Actually, it's loving, yeah, exactly. The Loving Cup. The Loving Cup. Yeah. Opener. See <laughs> the fuck. <laughs> Shit, I was thinking about it the whole time epic. we were talking about this. All right, we're gonna leave it on a good epic. <laughs> Brad with a tank top. Thank you so much for joining. <laughs> Jonathan with the, not a tank top. Thank not you. For, thank you for joining. Um, for our whole team, our the entire team behind the HF Pod. VJ Lederman for the music. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to thank our writers. I mean, as you guys who are still listening know, we have an incredible research team. Um, the, the writing staff is just writing, crack, crack writing staff. And by that, I mean incredible. they're off on crack. Do we cheat them in how they're in a while. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Give us a review on the internet if you like us and tell us what else we should be doing. But um, we're going to do more stuff. And Please uh, base that review on other episodes. <laughs> no, uh, this not is just the one. Best. One of my this favorite things. Uh, of, Many people uh, are saying this is the best episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Many people are saying <laughs> one of my favorite things about uh, uh, podcast reviews of other podcasts is when people like pick on the one guest in the one of 500 episodes that had a wrong opinion somewhere and they give it a one star and they're like, that guy knew nothing. Like, you know, they wouldn't have on. to go far you, on this podcast you, with us. Exactly. I mean, you know, you can listen to any episode and know that we know nothing, but at least, at least make sure you've listened to a few of them first. Exactly. <laughs> you throw a rock and you'll hit a bad opinion with this one. All right, guys, <laughs> give us a review on the internet. Brad, Jonathan, thank you. Bye, guys. Thanks so See much, you all. everybody. See you all next time. Keep on rocking.
Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born, to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song.